This teaching is from City Church Coventry. You can find us online at www.citychurchcoventry.org. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Vindicate me, my God, and please my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Wonderful. Okay, so again, we've got this week two psalms for the price of one. Psalm 42 and 43. Last week we were in Psalm 130 and 131 and we found there how it led us from to a, a place of, of quiet, a quiet and peaceful soul. And, and we found that hoping in God's word brings our souls to a place of patient waiting on God. It was so good earlier this morning in our communion Zoom, just to hear, I don't know, must have been a a dozen people at least who had an opportunity to just share a scripture that was producing hope in them, uh, the hope that was coming from the word of God. And so this week we've got another pair of psalms that, in fact, in some versions of the Bible, these these constitute just one psalm. And, And it's kind of obvious 
why that is because put together they have this structure don't they of a, of a stanza or, or, a, or a verse and then a, a refrain or a chorus three times so you've got one um uh, each time the refrain comes it's the same words and then the verses in between the stanzas in between uh kind of explore different aspects and different experiences and they kind of take us on another journey another journey of hope because these are songs of hope um and it begins in a place of separation from God and longing for his presence. The psalmist here um, is, and of course this may not apply strictly to a, a historical experience of this psalmist. It could be uh, that, 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 you know, as many songs are, they're constructed to kind of speak into different situations, that they're drawn from a number of different experiences and then put together. So if I'm talking about, you know, the psalmist is experiencing this or that, it doesn't necessarily, we're not, it's not like some of, the song, some of the psalms we're told, like, you know, David wrote this when he was fleeing from Saul. They, they describe historical events, but others are just songs that are constructed to speak into certain situations. But this pair of psalms, I think, really, really speaks into where we're at right now. It's almost as if, as if where we are is, is what the psalmist had in mind or one of the things he had in mind as he, as he constructed and crafted uh, this, this psalm. And he says, when can I go? He's away from the presence of God. And of course, at that time, it would have been, if this is during the time of David, it would have been the tabernacle of David. And if it was a little later, it would have been the temple. But he's kind of saying, where, I can't, where can I go? It's written, this psalm is written, it says, by the sons of Korah. They were a family within the Levites. They were uh, musicians. They were part of the worship there. In fact, later he talks about being a worship leader. When can I go and, and lead the people in worship again? But for whatever reason, he's not able to be in the temple or the tabernacle. And for him, that means he's not able to encounter the presence of God. He's not able to meet God. And so he says, when can I go and meet God? And uh, some translations say, when can I go and appear before God? Uh, that's kind of the literal meaning. It's this idea of, of, of seeing and being seen. And he's saying, because I can't be in the place of worship, because I can't be at that physical place where normally that's where I worship God and that's where I encounter him, I can't see God and he can't see me. That's how he feels. I'm not saying that's the reality, but that's how he feels. And I'm pretty sure that there are some of us that feel that way right now. Because we can't go and be together then it feels like I can't see God and he can't see me. I can't appear before him. And however true or untrue that was in this period of time here in, um, in the book of Psalms, um, in a sense is irrelevant because that's exactly where, how the psalmist feels. And I believe in objective truth. We live in a time where objective truth, where everyone's truth is equal. Uh, and I don't believe that's the case. But when you're in the situation here, your truth, in a sense, is, is very real and is very important. The tr his truth is, I can't, I can't see God and I can't be seen. When can I get back? There's a longing, there's a yearning to be back in the presence of God. Phys he's physically distanced. He can't be there. He's in some kind of trouble or danger. Maybe the whole nation. Maybe there, was, you know, there were times in Israel's history, of course, when they were oppressed by many nations. Maybe, maybe it's a time of great national crisis. And that's why he can't be um, in the temple. But whatever it is, maybe it's something he's done. Maybe he's, you know, maybe he's, he's in a place of, of sin and wandering away from God. I don't know. In fact, it doesn't matter whether we know because that way 
it helps us understand that this speaks to us whenever we feel like that's the situation that we find ourselves in. I'm distant from God. I'm away from him. And, uh, and this guy in particular, because his whole calling in life uh, was about leading God's people in worship. And it seemed like that had been taken away from him. And he was, he was unable, he, unable to be in the presence of God. And he can't see God and he can't be seen. And then we come to the first refrain. Why so downcast on my soul and why disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet again praise him, my saviour and my God. And I think when we hear this refrain, the three times it comes, it's the same words every time. But to me, it says something different. There's a different attitude behind it. This first time it's coming from this place of desperation. I can't see God. God can't see me. I'm absent from the presence. I have no connection with God. I'm disconnected from his people. I'm disconnected from worship. All the things that I desire are completely cut off from me. Why are you so downcast on my soul? Well, that's why. That's why I'm feeling like this, because of the situation I've described. But even in that, there is this call, this is speaking to himself of saying, put your hope in God. And in the translations uh, that we read, I think it said something like, I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. The literal translations there say, I will yet praise, praise him for the salvation of his presence or for the salvation of of my countenance, or for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Now, what's going on here? Well, this the words that have been translated countenance are giving us a bit of an insight as to how the Hebrew language speaks about the presence of God. And when you read in the Old Testament the word presence, the presence of God, the literal word is face, the face of God. So we're going back to that idea, you know, when can I appear before God? When can I see him and be seen by him? And, you know, so that idea, you know, Moses talked with God face to face as, as, as a man talks with his friends. That idea of a face to face encounter. That's really what is being conveyed in the Hebrew language by the phrase, the presence of God, this face to face encounter and he's saying that I will praise him I will stir hope up in me because I believe that I will be returned to that place of face-to-face encounter I'll be returned to that place of seeing God and being seen by God now you and I are probably already going well I'm sure you were always in that place but his experience and his lived reality was he felt entirely separate but what did he what does he do he speaks to himself speaking to yourself is a powerful and helpful thing. Sometimes you are the only preacher you've got. I know we've all got the internet today and podcasts and stuff, but you know, in those in those difficult moments, in those trying moments, sometimes you are the only preacher you've got and sometimes you're the best preacher you've got. Speak to yourself. Don't deny the reality, but say, look, why so downcast? Why disturbed? I know why, but... Here's the solution. I will put my hope in God because I believe a time will come again when I will see and be seen by God. He appreciates, he understands that downcast and disturbed isn't right. (laughs) That's not God's intention for us. It's incompatible with hoping in God. But knowing it's not right doesn't mean that things immediately change. And that's one of the things I love about this uh, these well, this pair of psalms 
is it's not an instant fix. There's a repetition, there's a continuing, there's a going back and saying, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to go around. Uh, I'm going to go around again. I'm going to speak to myself again. Three times he says the same thing to himself. And I think each time there is with a greater sense of hope and faith that he's saying this, but he persists in that. He keeps going. And, you know, sometimes that's the best thing we can do. We just keep going. We don't expect an instant fix, realizing that downcast and disturbed isn't the, the state that God wants us to be in. doesn't immediately bring us out of it. But we persist. And look what happens here. It's the thought of the return to the presence of God that gives him hope. This idea that the face of God is a place of blessing or is a thing of blessing, we find in, in number six, don't we, in that very famous scripture, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. When we know that the face of God is towards us, we know his blessing, his peace in our lives. Commenting on this uh, Psalms, um, this Psalm 42, and this statement that the psalmist makes, I will yet praise him. I will yet praise him because I know a time is coming. I put my hope in God. Um, Charles Spurgeon says this. It is well sometimes to snatch a light from the altars of the future and with it to kindle the sacrifices of the presence. I'll say that again. It is well sometimes to snatch a light from the altars of the future and with it to kindle the sacrifices of the presence. What's he saying? He says, I know that a time is coming, a better time is coming. And, and I have such a confidence in God that I will lay hold of something from that time and bring it into my presence and allow it to make a difference here and now to kindle the sacrifice of the presence. I know that I'm not able to worship and praise God as I would like, as I would, as you know, as 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 I believe God in, intends but I know a time is coming and I'm going to reach in faith and take something of, take some of the hope of that, take some of the heat of that, take some of the fire of that and I'll allow that to come and produce something in my life today that causes me to praise God. Now we get to the second stanza, if you like, uh, chapter uh, Psalm 42, verses 6 to 10. And he begins to act on his command to himself of put your help in God by remembering you know, remembering is a powerful, powerful thing. In, uh, I was really interested. I thought I'd do a little study on remembering, and it was very much a little study. But the first thing that struck me is this. That if we take the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, in the first four of those books, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, it's nearly always God that remembers. Okay, God is the one doing the remembering. He remembers his covenant, he remembers his promise, and he acts upon it. And when the Bible uses the word remember in those senses, it's not saying that God has forgotten. But when it says God remembers, it's a sign that God is about to act on a promise he's made and bring it into the experience of his people. That's how the, the idea of remembering is most often used in the first four books of the Bible. But then in the fifth book, Deuteronomy, the book of the law that God gives to the new generation of, of Israelites who are going to come and take the land. Time and time again, it's the Israelites who are told to remember to remember how God has faithfully rescued them and led them and provided for them and brought them now to 
the land of promise. They're told to remember. Remember the goodness of God. And the psalmist begins now to remember. And in his remembering, he begins to uh, talk about the different places that aren't Jerusalem, that aren't the temple. And he names three places. Uh, Hermon, which is the highest point in um, Israel, both today and, and then. And the Jordan, which is the lowest point, or at least it runs down to the lowest point, the Dead Sea. And he mentions Mizpah as well, which is another mountain near Hermon. And what's he saying? He's saying this, look, I remem- I'm remembering, I'm bringing back to memory the fact that I have encountered God's, I have encountered God's presence in these different places. Or maybe he's saying, I'm in those different places and I'm remembering that I've met with God. What, it's, it's, it's breaking out. He's beginning. What, what's been the effect of him speaking to himself? He's beginning to realize I don't have to be in the temple to meet with God. I don't have to be in one place or another. But actually, whether it's in the highest place of Mount Hermon, whether it's in the lowest place of the Jordan, whether I'm up or whether I'm down, wherever I go, I remember that I can meet with God. God is not restricted. Maybe he's bringing to mind the words of, of Psalm 137, which, which we know that David wrote. So, you know, the Psalms aren't arranged chronologically. Um, it's quite likely that, um, uh, that, that, that the writer would have already known this, this Psalm. Psalm 137, where David says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings like the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Yes, it's possible to see God and to be seen by God in the heights and in the depths and on the far side of the sea. And this seems to stir something with the psalmist. And he, he, it's, it stirs this connection with the Spirit of God. And he now says, deep calls to deep in the sound of your waterfalls. He's remembering that, that actually that worship is a spiritual thing. My relationship with God is a spiritual thing. It's from, it's from soul to, 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 to spirit. It's from spirit to spirit. And me- remembering these things from the past brings back into focus for him the present truth of God's grace moving towards him. And he says, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. He's discovering the truth that you and I, you and I now live in, that the temple of God isn't restricted to one place. He, uh, what First Corinthians verse uh, chapter 3 talks about, us together corporately being a temple the church being a temple for God but then 1 Corinthians 6 talks about us our individual bodies being temples for God we know that there is a place of encounter when we come together but there's a living breathing everyday permanent place of encounter that is this physical body where God now dwells by his spirit we live in the fullness of what maybe the psalmist was only anticipating then but, you know, this realisation doesn't sort everything out for him. <laughs> and, and if that's where you're at, you think, I, I feel like I make a bit of progress and then I, I take a step back and I, I think I've convinced myself and I think faith has been stirred in me. And I, I think I'm hoping in God and then I find I've, I kind of, you know, maybe maybe I'm not. Well, don't worry. The psalmist is there as well because he says this. It's a wonderful contradiction there. He says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? 
And he's calling God his rock. And the image there is, I'm standing on God. I'm standing on his promises. I'm standing on something substantial. It's the anchor and the root and the, 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 you know, the, the safety and the, the security of my life. God, my rock. Why have you forgotten me? And he's caught in this paradox that I think we sometimes probably are caught in ourselves. We can feel God under our feet. And at the same time, it still feels like he's forgotten us. We can be in this in this kind of really close contact and know his 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 presence and his power and his, his the truth of him and all that he's doing for us and still feel like I'm forgotten. You know, we're caught in this tension. And I'm sure for many of us we have moments and seasons like that. And maybe that's where you're at right now. There's plenty of circumstances that would cause that to be the case. Um but what does he do? He, he doesn't kind of say, well, this hasn't worked. And he comes back and he speaks to himself again. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Um, he doesn't uh, give up. Um, but he remembers God, remembering God, has moved him forward, but it hasn't caused him to break free from, from all those thoughts and doubts. So he speaks to himself again. Persistence is powerful. I won't say too much more about that because that's what we were talking about in the prayer time. But keep going, keep persistent. Why so downcast on my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Now we come to verse 3, or stanza 3, the beginning of psalm 43 he's still not there yet but he prays a powerful prayer here in verse 3 send out your light and your truth and let them lead me let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling so there were two voices going on before wasn't there there was the there was the psalmist voice and then there was the voice of his enemies you know where is god he's he's forsaken you Maybe literal enemies, maybe just the enemy of circumstance, maybe circumstances speaking to you as an adversary, as an enemy saying, come on, what, is it, what, what, is, what does believing in Jesus mean in a time like this? And you've got your voice trying to counter that. Put your hope in God and the voice of the enemy or a voice of a circumstance saying, God's let you down. God's forgotten you. He's abandoned you. He's left you alone. There's these two voices warring and he finds, you know what? My voice isn't enough to overcome this. So I'm going to ask God to bring his voice into the situation as well. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. So now a third voice comes into the situation. The voice of God comes through his word and his spirit to lead us into the light and into all truth. You know, our own voices are great tools. Um, like the psalmist, we speak to ourselves, we confess, we stir our souls up. But our voices are fallible. Uh, they can speak hope to our souls, but they can also speak doubt. And the psalmist has been doing that through there. He speaks hope, he speaks doubt. He speaks hope, he speaks doubt. But now he says, I need another voice. Lord, come and bring your light and your truth into this situation, into my life. The voice of the enemy or the voice of circumstances is never reliable. I wonder if this is a lesson we, we should be learning in this season. You know, before the pandemic struck, I know we all have troubles and we all have issues and problems and challenges. 
But for most of us living, living, if you're living here in, in Coventry, if you're part of, of City Church Coventry, I know you, many others watching, you're probably in a similar circumstance. We have pretty easy lives. Yeah, we have pretty easy lives. Even now, even now, our life is so much easier than many, many other people around the world. And it's not just in the bad times that circumstance is an is a, is a untrustworthy voice to listen to. Perhaps it's in the good times that we need to realise that circumstance is an untrustworthy voice. Don't allow the voice of circumstance to become the defining voice in your life. And so many Christians tend to live this way. Uh, we listen to the voice of circumstance in the good times and we've been deceived into believing that circumstances are a faithful guide to knowing the will of God or the blessing of God or the leading of God. That Actually, it's our circumstance that we allow to be the thing to say, oh, well, good things are happening to me, then that means that God's blessing me. Or bad things are happening to me, that means that I've somehow offended God and walked out of his will. You know, Peter tells us that in his uh, first epistle, he says, you know, don't be surprised when bad things happen. That, that's kind of what happens when you're faithful to Jesus. Um, circumstances are incredibly unreliable in leading you in the ways of the Lord. And that is, I think, probably as much of a, a lesson for us to learn about the good circumstances. You know, when the pandemic ends, when the lockdown ends and when we come out, does that mean that somehow God loves us more than he does right now? Of course it doesn't. Does that mean that he's got more grace and mercy for us? No, of course. In fact, you know, grace and mercy is poured out in, a, in, one, in one sense in proportion to our need. And so there's more of it available right now than perhaps at, at, at other times. Don't listen to the voice of circumstance, particularly the good circumstance. We're not those who follow, um, you know, omens in the sky or horoscopes or, or any of those things. You know, they are unreliable. But the voice of God, the word of God, the voice of God heard through his spirit and his word is entirely faithful and reliable. The light and truth that come from God that he sends out, his word and his spirit, are a completely reliable voice to lead us the right way and ultimately to deliver us to our destination, the hill of the Lord, the house of God. Think to Psalm 23. Where's the confidence of the psalmist come from there. He says, I will dwell. This is where he ends up. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And why is that? Because the Lord is my shepherd and he leads me. The leading of God, the voice of God, the light and truth of God through his word and by his spirit will always lead us ultimately to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that is our certain hope. And then we come to the refrain for the final time. And it seems to me the tone has changed. And I think in John's reading, he changed the tone as well. There was, there was a much more hopeful tone in that final one where it says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why disturbed him in me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. And so I want to encourage you, speak to yourself, speak truth to yourself. Don't listen to the voice of circumstance. Certainly don't listen to the voice of an enemy. But pray and say, God, I can speak to myself, but I need another voice here. Speak to me by your word. Speak to me by your spirit. Let your light and your truth come in. 
because I know when that happens and when I follow your leading, that gives me the ultimate hope of knowing I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will again praise him. Everything that it might feel like I've lost will be restored and so much more besides because God is faithful and his word is true. Amen. Wonderful. Thanks for listening to this teaching from City Church Coventry. You can find more great teaching and other resources on our website at www.citychurchcoventry.org.